Well, beloved, it is the Christmas season, and it is right and true to praise him, to glorify him, to honor him, to bless him. <clears throat> and so today, we're going to talk about why the incarnation. Why the incarnation? And as we read this first scripture that I'm going to read to you today, you're going to see that it instructs us to be in one accord with each other, with the brethren, and with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, there's an Aramaic. I'm going to be reading out of the Aramaic. Uh, Scott, if you could run out there and grab, they're on the visitor counter. If you guys didn't pick them up when you came in, maybe another gentleman could go help him, and you can pass those out. So Philippians 2, verse 1, reading out of the Peshitta Bible, which is a translation of Aramaic. If you have, therefore, comfort in the Messiah, or the filling up of hearts with love, or communion of the Spirit, or tender care and mercy, fulfill my joy that you would have one conscience, one love, one soul, one mind, and you should not do anything with contention or empty glory. But in humility of mind, let every person esteem his neighbor as better than himself. Neither let a man care for that which is his own unless every person cares also for that which is his neighbor's. Beloved, this flies in the face of the me doctrine. Did you hear what I said? It flies in the face of the me doctrine. Verse 5. And reason in your souls this, that also Yeshua the Messiah did. He who, while he was in the form of God, here, that's mine, you can, if we ran out, you can use that. And reason in your souls this, that also you, Yeshua the Messiah did, he who, while he was in the form of God, did not esteem this as a prize, that he was the equal of God. But... He stripped himself and took the form of a servant and was in the form of the children of men and was found in fashion as a man and he humbled himself and was obedient unto death, even the death of being crucified. <clears throat> because of this, because of this, <coughs> God has also greatly exalted him and he has given him the name which is greater than all names that in the name of Yeshua every knee shall bow which is in heaven and in the earth, and which is under the earth. Hallelujah. And every tongue shall confess that Yeshua the Messiah 
is the Lord Jehovah. Yeshua, the Messiah, is the Lord Jehovah. To the glory of God, his Father. Hallelujah. I'm just going to tell you something before I even start today. If you have anything in your life, if you have any condition, if any oppression, any concern, any anxiety, if you have people in your life that need the saving grace of Yeshua, he is the name above that name. Whatever you have just mentioned in your heart, whatever you have just thought of, he is the name above that concern. And he has already provided your redemption. We have a God that came to this earth to help us. You have a God that came to this earth to help you. Philippians 2.5. Reason in your souls this, and it's not the NIV, so if you have the papers, just do the papers, because we're doing the paper today. But that's okay, that's okay. Reason in your souls this, that also Yeshua the Messiah did. Now, he's not going to tell you to do something that you are not able to do with with his help. The English Standard Version of this says, Have this mind among yourselves, listen to these next three words, which is yours, which is yours. Now, the minute you're born again in Christ Jesus, it belongs to you. Now, you're just going to be a faithful person and you're going to walk it out, right? You're going to learn more and more and more and more from the Lord. KJV, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Beloved, you have been given the mind of Christ. However, beloved, we're going to take this whole scripture as one because unless you understand and do verses 1 through 4, you see, you do, you do verses 1 through 4, and that's how you get to verse 5 and on. That's how you receive verse 5 and on. Okay? So it gives us some instructions there. It says, If you have, therefore, comfort in the Messiah. Well, what is comfort in the Messiah? Having made him your Lord and Savior, who fills your hearts with his love. giving us communion with Holy Spirit. Communion with Holy Spirit. Walking in the love of Christ. Not doing anything out of contention or empty glory. That is critical. Well, all of this is critical. If we are filled, when we are filled with the love of Christ, We will not do things out of contention or empty glory. Okay? What are are contentions and empty glory? Selfishness. Vain conceit. Selfish ambition. Strife. Rivalry. Empty pride. Those are some definitions of those two ideas, of those two. Two phrases. 
Then it goes on, having humility of mind. Having humility of mind, caring not only for ourselves, but for our neighbor. Caring not only for ourselves, but for our neighbor. And then through this transformation of verses 1 through 4, working in us, through this transformation of our very own hearts, our very own hearts transformed, we can indeed become one conscience, one love, one soul, one mind, because of our union with Christ. It's his plan for you. It's his vision of you. We can be established in one mind because we are given the mind of Christ. We are given the mind of Christ by establishing ourselves in his love. We are given the mind of Christ by establishing ourselves in his love. You must know how much the Lord loves you in order to do that. 1 Corinthians 2.16, this is in the NIV, 1984. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. It is your born-again nature. So Philippians 2.5, I want to go back through some of the Greek and explain some of these words. When you receive the fullness of what these words really mean, it is going to make a whole brand new understanding for you. You are going to walk in a whole nother dynamic in the spirit realm. Woo! That is so true, beloved. When we get the fullness of the word and the understanding of the word, you are going to walk in all new realms in the spirit. It is what God has destined for you. Whoa. <laughs> Hallelujah. Holy Spirit reality, the fullness of the Lord, the presence of Jesus Christ. Cannot be held back in your life because it is the vision that God had for you before you were ever born. So anyway, we're going to look at Philippians 2.5. It says, reason in your souls or have the same mind. I command right now feebleness of mind off of every person. You do not have feebleness of mind. You have a mind renewed uh, by Christ. So from the Greek, phroneo, the root phren or freen, I don't really know how to pronounce it and I really don't care because that's not the point. It is the midriff or the diaphragm, the parts around the heart. Okay, now I want you to hang on to that thought. We're going to come back to that. It is defined in Strong's as, properly, its definition, regulate or moderate 
from within as inner perspective or insight that shows itself in corresponding outward behavior. You got that? Or do I need to go back over it? Read it again. To regulate or moderate from within as inner perspective or insight that shows itself in corresponding outward behavior. Okay? It goes on. It says, essentially, it equates to a belief fleshing itself out in action itself in action and then Strong's goes on to say so a belief fleshing itself out in action in your life and Strong goes on to say that this is a really difficult translation into English because it combines the visceral and the cognitive aspects of thinking. Okay, so I'm going to explain this a little bit about what it means and what I think about it. Because when I look at this definition, what I see is the totality of the inner spirit mind coming through faith into action. And it is how God designed you to operate. So in essence, having the same mind as Christ or reasoning in our souls is the combining of our senses, all of our senses, our inner witness, what Holy Spirit speaks to us, and our intellect or our reasoning or thinking. The wholeness of all of that put together in a person. I personally interpret this. Are you, am I making it okay to understand? I personally interpret this as basically the morphing together of all the love of Christ shed abroad in our hearts, the morphing of all the love of Christ, that Holy Spirit unction, and my thinking or my ability to think and apprehend the way that Christ would think and apprehend. And nobody's going to take that away from me. I have it. It belongs to me. It is how he designed me to function. So if you notice... Remember at the beginning I said, hang on to that, that we're going to talk about that in a little bit? If you notice, this definition includes your diaphragm, the original, you know, going way back in, in history. The diaphragm and the parts around the heart. That's important. Because what does the diaphragm do? The diaphragm brings in, by the way it acts, it brings in the breath of life to you. The diaphragm brings in the breath of life. What does that mean in the spirit? In the spirit, the diaphragm brings into your life the very breath of God. The very breath of God. The very life breath of God. Amen. And it says the parts around the heart. 
That's your spirit man or woman. Okay? So it brings the very, okay, I'm going to use a big, strong word, and I want every single one of you in here to own it. The very existence of God in you. His very existence. Everything about him. It's who he made you to be. Another translation here says, okay, listen to this. This was from Eliot's commentary, and it said a, a more specific translation of that verse. But emptied or stripped himself of his glory by having taken on him the form of a slave and having been made or born in the likeness of men. So, his glory that he had in heaven, he was willing to set that down, to come to earth in flesh, in the incarnation, so that you could be like him. He emptied himself of all his glory, of his divinity, to become like us. He took the form of a servant. Can you do the same? We're going to look at Strong's about what a servant is. It says, someone who belongs to another. To whom do you belong? Thank you. <laughs> it says a bond slave. A bond slave. This is the part of the definition that I absolutely love, and it will just give you so much wonderful insight. It says, without any ownership, rights of their own. It means without any ownership rights of your own. Think about what Jesus left and, and that he did that for you. He gave up all ownership rights to everything that he had. All the glory, all the presence, all the just total communion with the Father, one with the Father. And he was willing by the incarnation to give that to you, to every person who would receive him as Lord and Savior. Amen. The word morph for the word for our word form okay it says outward expression that embodies essential inner substance outward expression that completely embodies the essential inner substance wow so that the form, well, we see the form is in complete harmony with the inner substance. Complete harmony. Okay? So everything that says to me, everything that Jesus was, everything about him, became a slave to the will of the Father so that he could help us. So that he could help you. His entire 
being was that of servanthood. Every aspect of Jesus was servanthood. He gave up claim to his own personal will or desire. He gave up claim to that glory, that union with the Father. Of course, we know that he's, un he's united, but you know what I'm talking about, right? In the presence of the Father, he gave that up. He gave up claim to come here as a man so that you could understand that you as a man or woman can do the same thing he did. You see, a servant does the will of his master, completely submitted to the father. He came in the fashion of a man. That word fashion in the Greek Okay, this is going to just explode in your hearts, beloved. In the Greek, it not only means form, which it does mean, it means plan. Get that? It means form. He came in the form, but it also means plan. He came in the plan of the Father. Completely submitted to the plan of the Father. In his substance, in his desires, in his will, he submitted every personal desire, all rights to his own will or his own way. His will was the complete will of the Father. And he chose that for you. Do you think your Lord could have said no? He had that option. But he chose to say yes for you. Hallelujah. Jesus existed in the complete, in the form of God before being born here on earth. All the power, all the glory, all the brilliance, all the presence of God in Jesus. They were one. And God chose to reclothe himself. To reclothe himself. He chose to reclothe himself as a bond servant with no personal rights as a slave. So that he could come for us to know him and commune with him, be in his presence, fellowship with him, have intimacy with him, be saved, <laughs> and live an eternal life with him. That's the incarnation. That's what he did for you. God actually took upon himself flesh. I'm not going to describe flesh. You all get it, right? He took upon himself flesh. The very, think about this, think about this, the very flesh that he had created. He came in that form for you. He clothed himself in it to become like us, to identify with us, and so that we could identify with him by understanding what he, that he was a man. So he could help us. And I'm going to read two scriptures, or series of scriptures, that kind of explain that part, the help part. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18, and this is in the NIV, uh, 1984. Since the children have flesh and blood, the children, if you're born again, right? 
he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. That's you. Are you born again? That's you. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. In every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered, when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He is your helper at all times. He is your help in ever-present danger. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. With confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He is your help. He has mercy and grace and compassion. He has gone through every emotion that you can ever dream of. Everything that you go through, he has felt on your behalf. And he does not condemn you. He is merciful and kind and good. And he will give you a way out, a way of help. His heart, his whole heart is to help you. He has no other heart toward you. He had to take on complete humanity. Being born as a baby just like you. He had to take on complete humanity, stripped of all things divine, out of a heart of love for you and for me. Allowing himself to be tempted and tried like us, feeling our pain, feeling our emotions, feeling our griefs, made like us in every way, yet without sin, yet without sin, yet without sin. So we know that we too, just like him, can overcome. He was a man in the flesh who overcame, so we, like him, can do likewise. When we have the same attitude that he had. When we have the same attitude that he had and has. So that we could know him, see his glory, know his presence, feel his love, his mercy, his compassion, his justice. He came, he humbled himself, so that we can know all the goodness of God. He humbled himself, gave up every personal right, gave up every personal right, so that we could know all the goodness of God. 
so that we could have confidence, we just read that scripture, confidence to enter the throne room. You, you are allowed into the throne room, beloved. It's where he designed you to commune with him. You are, you have complete entrance as a born-again child of the living God to enter the throne room with boldness, confidence. Amen. Amen, that's right. With no shame and no guilt. Do you get that? Knowing his mercy and love and forgiveness and passion for us. We get to know that. We get to experience that. Knowing that our mistakes, our past sins, or guilt, or shame, or are not, are not, are not greater than his love for us. They're not greater than his love for us. He had to come in here to the earth in human form for us to know that, for us to see that. Our mistakes cannot keep us from the throne room of glory. Hang on. They cannot. Your mistakes cannot keep you from the throne room of glory and grace and mercy because we now have, now that he's resurrected, we now have a great high priest who when we come to him and fall at his feet and repent, who says to you, you are forgiven, you are loved. Hallelujah. And I have gathered you unto myself. <clears throat> Jesus would say to you, and I believe much of what I'm going to say to you now is a word directly spoken from the Lord to my heart when I was preparing this. He would say to you, the devil who once lorded sin and darkness over you, no longer has a hold on you. Amen. Broken. No longer has a hold on you. He is no longer your master. I have set you free. You now have the victory in me. You now have a new king and a new savior. You are now secure in my love. You are now hidden in me. Listen to this. He spoke this directly. Listen, listen, listen. I have reclothed you in my glory just as I once reclothed myself in your humanity.
and the walls came tumbling down. Hallelujah! Get excited, church! Maybe, maybe we got to take the wheels off of those. <laughs> if it gets any more exciting in this church, maybe we got to take the wheels off. Woo! And I'm not talking about our wheels. <laughs> All right, let's move on. You now have my name, which is above every other name. Listen to this. You! <laughs> you are the inheritors of my obedience unto death. My death on that cross was your death to darkness and your victory into my life. Your death, my death on that cross was your death unto darkness and your victory into my life. Verse 8. And he humbled himself and was obedient unto death in every way, even the death, even. Notice how it says even? So it's not just that. we got to pay attention to every single word. And he humbled himself and was obedient unto death, even the death of being crucified. Because of this, God has also greatly exalted him and has given him the name which is greater than all names. That in the name of Yeshua, every knee shall bow which is in heaven and in earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Yeshua, the Messiah, is the Lord Jehovah to the glory of God, his Father. Hallelujah. You have a name. You have a name. You have a name. Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jehovah. You have a name that is above every other name. It is greater than cancer. It is greater than fragility of mind. It is greater than every satanic oppression. It is greater than hate. It is greater than envy. It is greater than pride and arrogance. It is greater, it is greater, it is greater. And he has given you that name. Amen. So, beloved. <laughs> the question is, the question is, where do each one of us need to humble ourselves? Where do each one of us need to give up personal rights? Where do we need to humble ourselves to become obedient unto death? To help another person? Did Jesus help you? Where can we humble ourselves to help another person? That's the only thing that really matters in life after making Jesus your Lord and Savior. It really is the only thing that matters. 
The cost will never be too great. The cost will never be too great. I challenge each one of you to find that place. That place of humility that will bring grace. That place of humility that will bring grace and mercy and goodness and kindness and the love of Christ to another person this Christmas and in every season of our lives. Raise your eyes, beloved. Look around you. Do not be myopic. Look inside, beloved. Look inside, beloved, and find that someone who needs your help, perhaps desperately. The price will never be too great. There are so many people that desperately need your help. They desperately need what you have. Desperately. Is there someone hurting or sick or sad that you can touch with the love of Christ? And I'm not even telling you to start by telling them the gospel. I am saying share the love. Share the love. Be nice. Be kind. Go out of your way. Reach into their hurt. And just love on them. Even if you think they're wrong. Because I'm telling you something. The love of Christ will right that wrong and you won't even have to say a word other than to love on them. Is there someone with whom you might be at odds that your humility, your humbling your heart, me humbling my heart, will cancel the divide will span the expanse, will build the bridge, will bring joy and peace and reconciliation in their lives. It may not be with you, it may be with you, but you understand what I'm saying? One, you know, we, we always had this saying in our family, not that our family's right, I'm not saying that, and, and I'm not so sure that this is a straight gospel, you know, truth. But when our kids were being raised, we would always say, the one who apologizes first gets the blessing. Now, anyone who apologizes gets a blessing. But I honestly do believe the one who makes that step of reconciliation receives a blessing that, that no one else can receive in that situation. That's a tough thing to do. And when you put aside your personal pride and make that first step, believe me, there is a reward for you. Because Jesus took the first step for you. He did not see himself as being the same as God. You know, he was the same as God. Of course, he saw himself that way. That's not what I was saying. But he did not see giving that up, you know, as a prize that he had to cling to. He was willing to set that trophy aside and do anything it took to get you into fellowship with the Father. He didn't see that prize sitting on the shelf as the important thing. So let us walk in the humility and the love of the one who chose to humble himself for us, even to the point of laying aside 
all of his glory. Even to the point of laying aside all of his glory to the point of walking to that cross knowing what it was going to take to the point of hanging there in ultimate shame. You will never be shamed when you make that first step to bridge the love of Christ into another human being's life. The judgment has to stop. The hate has to stop. The love will cancel all darkness. You watch it work. You do it, you watch it work. It will bring the harvest of God. You see, Jesus saw us another heart, right? He saw another heart, you, me. He saw another heart as the true prize to be gained. He saw your heart as the prize to be gained. He saw your heart as the prize to be gained. He saw your heart and your heart and your heart and your heart. All of you, everyone, every person ever created, he saw your heart as the prize to be gained. And he saw us being blessed because, believe me, when a person's heart comes to the Lord, we are blessed. So he saw us being blessed as the true prize. He saw, and the Lord specifically told me to say these words, he saw us being blessed as his glory. Do you get that? He saw us being blessed as his glory. So, that's what the Lord told me to share with you all today. I love you. And